been watching that and they've told us about it. But if you need to and, and would like to, you can go on our website. On our website, you'll find our calendar for the month. Um, and you can, you know, if you need refreshing in anything, you can go there and the calendar for September's there. Uh, also, you can find out uh, the messages. There's a link to go to the messages. And then when you go to that site, you can also do it as a podcast. And if you get on the little uh, app, I saw someone said icon. Icons, computers, apps, or iPhones, right? If you get on the app, uh, iPhone, on the podcast, that's what I'm trying to say, the iPhone app called Podcast, yeah. And you can download that for free. You can go in there and look up Victor Fellowship, Faultful Alabama, and it'll have our messages on the podcast. This one we should be on there early in the week. Open your Bible this morning again to Luke chapter 21. We're going to finish up today with the series that we started a few weeks ago about the end times. And we're all living in the end times. All of us. You're not living in the future. You're not living in the past. Today is part of the end times. It's part of what the Bible calls the last days. Uh, one, one place in the Bible it says uh, in Second Timothy, Paul said in the, in the last days perilous times shall come. And it means the last of the last days. And I believe that's where we are. And uh, we may be here for many, many more years, but I believe that, still believe that we're in the last of the last days. So as we begin to read in Luke chapter uh, 21, verse 25, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring. And we see a lot of this going on. We see things happening on this earth that are just, uh, you know, they're, they're mega things, and we've never seen it like we do now. And the earthquakes and and uh, the hurricane, like you, you'd think that Hawaii sitting out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean would be bothered with hurricanes all the time. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, they had a hurricane there, and it was the first one that had hit those islands in years. But we're seeing things like this all over and things happening and, and going on in that way. So, folks, it, he said, now here's some things that you can begin to look for. Men's hearts failing them from fear. And the word fear there is the uh, word phobia, and it, it also means terror. So men's hearts failing them from terror. I was telling Bobby yesterday that we were talking about some things, and I was talking about our church insurance. And do you know the federal government is making every church organization like this, through the insurance company, they're, in, they're insisting that churches take out terror insurance so that there were to be what they'd call a terror act against our church. Somebody drive by and throw a, a, a cocktail up here and it blow up, you know, or something along, along that line. Or somebody walk in and, and start doing ugly. Of course, they wouldn't get very far if they did. They would be stopped pretty quick. But we're having to buy insurance for that because the federal government says that we got to have it. And they won't sell us insurance on our church without us including that. And so naturally... You know they're giving it to us, don't you? No, it causes the, the premium to go up. But here's the thing about it, folks. We do not need to be afraid of terror. 
See, he said in Isaiah chapter 54, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, he said that terror and fear would gather together against us, but they were not from him. And then he went on to say that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against us in judgment we shall condemn. So we don't have to get, we don't have to get scared, all right? You, we don't have to be afraid to go to Walmart because somebody might be out in the parking lot with a gun. We don't have to be afraid of that. And, and I don't know that it would ever happen. You don't have to be afraid to send your children to school because he said that we're removed from that kind of thing. And you say, well, Pastor, don't you know that happens all the time? Yeah, and that's the reason is you and mamas and daddies need to pray over your children every morning and pray not only for their, their minds to be clear, their hearts to be clear, for them to walk in, in integrity and Christianity, but pray the angels of God round about those children every morning before you take them from your house. That's our job. That's something that you and I need to be doing. Okay. Then he said they will, that when all this happens, the men's hearts failing for terror, the expectation of those things which are coming on earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And in verse 28, listen. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. And, and I want to do something right here a minute. Just, just to show you, now everybody here knows what began means. It means start something, okay? Now, he, he said that when you see these things, evidently there's a generation that is going to begin to see these things. As a matter of fact, later on he says this generation will not pass away that, that begins to see these things until all these things be fulfilled. All of it hinges, and I, I keep reminding you of this, all of it hinges on the nation of Israel. If you want to know the, the cornerstone piece of Bible prophecy, it's the nation Israel. Watch them. Study the Bible and see the things that God said about them and know that. And see, he said Israel would become a nation again. And they did in 1948. And then in, in, in Psalms chapter 90, he, or 90, he said that... Uh, uh, that the days of man is 70 years, unless he comes to strength, or in other words, he's blessed, and he goes to 80. Of course, I'm double blessed and triple blessed and quadruple blessed, aren't you? But anyway, and that could be what a generation is. And if that's so, and I'm not setting a date, don't get me wrong. I'm not setting a date, but Israel became 70 years old this past May, just a month after I became 70, Okay. And so you can tell I'm, I'm moving on blessing now because I'm going on towards 80, and then I'm going to make 90. All right? Double blessed. So, so he said that the generation that sees these things start, and it started in 1948, that they will see the Son of Man come. Now, now, folks, like I said, I'm not setting dates, but I'm telling you that here's what he's saying to us. Get your mind on heaven. Get your mind on God. We got our mind on too much stuff on this earth. I, I, and, and when I say we, I'm, t- I'm including Pastor Carol, okay? We have our mind on too much stuff on this earth. There's so much going on in our life. But folks, he's saying this to us. Look, we're in the last days. We're in the last of the last days. And it's time to get your mind on Jesus, on His returning, and understand that He's coming and that it could be any time. 
And then everything in life will begin to take place and happen. Does that mean, Pastor, I get my mind off my work? Oh, no, no. You've got you to gotta have your mind on your work. But you've got to, above that, have your mind on heaven. Have your mind on God. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, If you then be risen with Christ. If you're born again, you've been risen with Him to a new life. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ set it on the right hand of God. Set your affection. That means your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit, your will. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. We do these things on the earth. We enjoy these things on the earth. But they're not our love. Our love is looking to Jesus because we know He's coming from heaven to receive us off of this earth. Amen? Then He said redemption. Now I want you to look at this word. Or, or anyway, the word began here. I was going to tell you this. It means the start of something or a commencement in order of time. In other words, he said that when, when you see these things begin to come to pass, they're going to come in order. That's what he's talking about. And then he talked about redemption. Redemption has two meanings here. He said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, lift up your head. Your redemption draweth nigh. And, and the two meanings is this. Is to pay one is to pay the full, full price for someone or something, then to give back to them what they had lost. In Galatians chapter three and verse thirteen, he said that uh, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed everyone who hangs on the tree." He has redeemed us. We have been redeemed from what the curse that came. And He's given us back some new things. Also in Romans 8.23, He said not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. I'll talk about this in a minute. But folks, this body that you and I are in, see, not only has our spirit been redeemed, this body that you and I are in has been redeemed, and we'll see the fulfillment of that in time to come. Isn't it good to know that, that one day, and we talk about this a lot, you're going to have a body that don't crave earthly things. You're going to have a body that's not run by, by a pill or, or an injection or something like that. You're going to have a body that is going to be perfect and complete in every area. In Ephesians 1.14, he's in... Uh, I'm going to read verse 13. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Let me tell you something here. The word guarantee is like what you would call earnest money or the down payment. You go to buy something, you make a down payment on it, and if you don't come back and get it, you know what? You don't only lose what you put the down payment on, but you lose your down payment. Now, God gave us the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent, received the Holy Spirit from the Father, and he, he sent the Holy Spirit into this earth, into believers, on the day of Pentecost. So uh, we, we are redeemed, and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, the promise and if Jesus don't come back to get us, God's going to have to forfeit the Holy Spirit, and God's not about to give up part of the Trinity. Isn't that good to know? Hey, folks, it's a sure thing. It's a sure thing for those that are born again. It's more sure than today being Sunday. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's more sure than reality. Then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, he said, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed 
for the day of redemption. When we're going to be took out of this. And the word redemption also means to separate. It means a departure. Like when God redeemed the children of Israel out of Egypt. He took them out of Egypt and brought them into a place that He had promised us. One of these days, Jesus is going to come in the clouds of heaven. There's going to be the shout, the voice, the archangel, the trump of God. And we're going to be taken out of this land into a land that He's promised us when He said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Folks, let me tell you something. What we have right now is not the end. Now, you know, I think about this a lot of times. Uh, atheism wants to make us believe that it is. Atheism makes us want to believe that, or they try to teach us this, that you came from nothing, that you are nothing, and you're going to go to nothing. But I'm here to tell you today, folks, you did not come from nothing. God created you in His image and in His likeness. And you are somebody. You're special. The Word of God says you're a special purchase unto God. And and you are going somewhere, and that somewhere is to an eternity of sweet, bliss, wonderful life with Jesus forever and forevermore. Can you say amen to that? When Adam and Eve sinned, they lost in the fall what we have gained through the cross. The things that they lost, they didn't just sin, and that sin had some far-reaching uh, things to it. But, but we have regained through the cross what they lost when they bowed down and, and served the devil and worshipped him. We, we've regained it. We see it in part. But when Jesus comes to get us to take us home, folks, we're going to see it in full. Because we're going to be with him forever and forever and forever. Let's just, let me just look for a couple of minutes here at some things they lost. They lost their authority to rule the earth. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He him. Male and female created He them. You see, He only made two sex. Then God blessed them, the man and the woman, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, God, when God made Adam and Eve, He made them in His likeness. That's the reason I say that we, we came from somewhere, and that somewhere was from God. We're made in God's image, and we're going to go back to Him. So we are worth something. We are a special purchased possession, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But, but listen, even though we lost that authority... When Jesus died on the cross, we received authority. And what we need to do to learn is to learn to walk in that authority that you and I have. He said, uh, I'm going to call out a bunch of scriptures. It's not on there, and you don't have to go to them, Bo. But and he said in Luke 10, 17, he said, Behold, I give you power or authority to tread on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. He said, I give you power over the power of the enemy. And he called the enemy serpents and scorpions because that's, and, and that's what the Bible talk characterizes the devil and his imps as so many times that we have authority over them. 
Adam and Eve had authority over the devil and the Garden of Eden. But they were deceived because they had never had to use that authority. Then the first time something came up, they didn't use it and they lost it. But when Jesus died on the cross, He regained that. When he, when he ascended to heaven and God gave him that crown of glory and he came back to this earth and before he went away again, he said to those disciples, all power, all authority has been given unto me both in heaven and earth. And he said, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing, everybody say nothing, nothing shall by any means harm you. We have the authority. See, we can submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, and he has to flee from us. But let me tell you, when Jesus comes and gets us, he's setting us up for a rule and a reign that is going to be tremendous. I'm talking about, listen, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, I want to read this to you. If we endure, we shall also reign with him, reign with him. And if we deny him, he'll deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And listen to this passage in Revelation chapter 2. He says to the church in Thyatira, and in Revelation, Jesus talking, it's in red in my Bible. He said, but hold fast what you have till I come, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Now listen to that. Not only do we have power over spiritual things today, but when we come back with Jesus during that uh, millennial reign, we're going to have power on this earth. And, and it's what Paul refers to in Hebrews chapter uh, 6, where he says that people that have tasted the powers of the world to come, and he's talking about when we get into that time that the what we call the gifts of the Spirit today are going to be a common way of life. They're supernatural today. But in that day, to you and I, as the servants of God, this is going to be natural things that we'll do. During that time, we'll, we, will, we will be fluent in every one of the gifts of the Spirit in that day. In this day, it's as He wills. But then He said, He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. As I also have received from my Father, and will give Him the morning star, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, folks, let me tell you, we have power in part now. And what I mean by in part, I don't have power over you. I don't have power over this city. I don't have power over this state. Okay? And you don't either. But when we come back with Him, you study this out, we're going to be having positions of authority on this earth. And I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, when we come back at that time with Him, not only are we going to be involved in His government, but we're going to be instructors. We're going to be teachers. And can you imagine a curriculum in school totally based on Jesus and totally based on the Word of God and what God has for us? And that's where it'll be all over this earth. And they won't have any choice. It'll have to be done because we'll be ruling them with a rod of iron. Also, Revelation 26 says, uh, chapter 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Another thing they lost, they lost their perfect health and perfect bodies. They had a perfect body because they were created in the image of God. They had perfect health because there was nothing on the earth at that time that could destroy it. Genesis 2.17 says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now that's 
a pretty hard thing, isn't it? Just for a few minutes' pleasure. Well, same thing today. Then, he, And in Revelation 21, 3, listen to this, he says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Wow. Like I said, no sickness or death. No disease. There won't be somebody getting a flesh-eating bacteria. It won't be like uh, I read of a pastor's wife down in Florida. She took care of her two daughters and her husband during a time of flu, and she got the flu. This just happened recently. And, and so she got sick. He took her to the emergency room. They admitted her to the hospital. The next day they put her in intensive care. The next day she died because this thing had such a super impact upon her that she couldn't live. And, folks, what I'm telling you, when we get there, when we leave this earth and we're there, we won't have those kind of things to bother with anymore because we're going to go back to that Adam and Eve condition. Isn't that good to know? Well, give the Lord a hand clap. Yeah. I believe that Adam and Eve could have lived in that garden forever and, and, and could have ate anything they wanted to except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that have never got fat, that never got old that have never had any pain in their joints at all, no muscle pains, no, no kind of problem would have been on them anyway whatsoever. But here's another thing they lost. They lost their home. Oh, that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? They lost their home. The Garden of Eden got repossessed from Adam and Eve, or better I can say this, they got repossessed, dispossessed from the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed cherubims on the east of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. Put him out. Put him out. Let me tell you, I had this thought. Think about it with me. When God made them, he gave them dominion over the earth, over all the plants, over all the animals. There was probably briars on the earth already, thorns and thistles, but they had to move at Adam's command. They had to be gone at his command. The earth served him. And according to what God said to him, now then you're going to serve the earth. You're going to bow down to it, and you'll earn your living by the sweat of your brow every day of your life until you return back to the earth. Because dust you were, and dust you're going back again. I've had some questions lately about uh, if when we die, what happens to our spirit, what happens to our body. And I don't have time to dig all of that out, but a scripture that tells us that when we leave, when we die, when we breathe our last, that the spirit goes to the Father, it gives it. This body returns back to the dust from whence it came. But there's going to come a time, folks. Let me tell you something: that we're going to go home when Jesus. When Jesus comes to get gets us, we're going to go home. Now, I know here in a few minutes when I get through, you're going to get up and you're going to walk out and you're going to go to a house here on this earth or whatever you call it. You're going to go home. But you know, in that home, you still have bugs and there's still a chance of termites. You have to have pest control and, you, you know, all of those things. You have to pay an electric bill and a water bill and... Uh, 
all this kind of stuff you've got to upkeep. Sometimes you've got to paint. Sometimes you've got to change the floor covered and all of that. And I'm telling you, one day Jesus is going to come and take us home to a home that will never have to renovate again. Isn't that good to know? He's doing it all right now. But here's a couple of things. Last week we, we talked about some things, and I said there's three things that's final in the book of Revelation in chapter 20. And I want us to look at these things as, as we close out this this series of teaching. And in Revelation chapter 20, we find the final conflict. See, Satan is bound a thousand years. And while he's bound a thousand years, the millennial reign's going on. We talked about that two weeks ago. But then he's loosed at the end of that thousand years to go about to deceive the nations. And you say, why? Why is that going on? Well, I don't know. So I guess one day when we get to heaven, we can ask God why. Only thing I can tell you is this, that there will be people that will go into the millennial reign that are not born again. They're not regenerated. They're going to have children. There's still going to be a rebellious nature and, and, and a lot of people. That's the reason that the saints of God will rule this, this earth with a rod of iron. Because there's still going to be some rebellion. Now it's going to be, it's going to be kept down. It's going to be peaceful. It's not going to be an outward kind of thing. But Satan will be loose to go about to deceive these nations to help them, you know, say, hey, you know, you've been held captive all of these years, and let's go do something about it to the one that's held you captive. Well, they're not really going to be captive. It's just they're not going to be able to work their mischief and, and for this thousand-year period. So Satan's going to go out, and he's going to deceive these. This is what the Word of God tells us in Revelation chapter 20. Verse 7, now when a thousand years had expired, Satan will be released from his prison. He'll go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And the fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and forever, and we could add to that, and forever, and forever, and when that's over with, they're still going to be being tormented. Wow. That Gog and Magog is not talking about what Ezekiel talks about. Here it's referring to the people and the land in this where it talks about Gog and Magog. But let me tell you, it's going to be ultimate, complete, ultimate defeat for the devil and he is going to be absolute history from then on. That time's coming. And not just, he'll be bound for a thousand years, but folks, this is talking about him being separated and gone forever and ever. And then there's a final judgment it talks about. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Jesus told those disciples back over in Luke chapter 17. He said, uh, or chapter 10, brother. He said, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpion over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall be any means harm you. But he said, don't rejoice in this, but rejoice, brother, that your names are written in 
heaven, which is the book of life. Now, folks, let me tell you something. You're a child of God. You go in the rapture, the catching away of the church. There's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. We talked about that. You won't be at this judgment to be judged. We may be standing on the sideline, but you won't be at this judgment here to be judged. Why? Because your name's in the book of life. But every area that had given up righteous dead, the sea, the earth, wherever, whatever had happened to them, and those righteous dead came forth with a glorified body, according to 1 Corinthians 15 and other places, then at this point in time, the unrighteous dead are going to be raised with bodies that are corruptible, bodies that are sick, hurt, maimed, and mingled, and their their unjustified spirit, unregenerated spirit, will be joined back together with that body at that time, just like our body... Our spirit's going to be joined with a glorified body in the rapture. Now, these are a thousand years apart, you understand. And so it's going to happen to them, and that is going to be part of their punishment forever and forever and forever because all of this is going to be cast into the lake of fire. That's going to be their home forever and forever. But I want to quickly talk about our home. Hey, I'm going home, folks. Lately... Just lately, for the last 49 years, I've got heaven on my mind a lot. It seems like the further down this road I get, the more it's there. I'm going home. I'm a pilgrim, a stranger. I'm not a citizen of this earth. My citizenship's in heaven. Let me tell you something. I may not be known a lot on this earth. Now, I know a lot of people know me. People speak to me everywhere. But I'm known by all of heaven, folks. And you are too. We're going home one day. Mm. No, it's such a pretty place it's going to be. I want to just take a few minutes more. You give me, I'm talking about five to six minutes. Help me, Lord. In Revelation chapter 21, I'm going to judge, I'll just read a bunch of Scripture and try not to comment much, all right? Revelation chapter 21, verse 9, he said, And then one of the seven angels who had the seven bows filled with the seven last plagues came and talked with me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven, having the glory of God. Her light was like a precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Jasper stones today are not worth much, but in the days that John saw this and wrote this, they were one of the most expensive gems that they could have. So this is what he saw. And she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels on the gates and, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now think about that. Here's this city that's got these gates, it's got the names of Levi and Simeon, Judah, different names of the tribes of Israel on those, on those gates. And then verse 14 says, Now the wall of that city had twelve foundations, and think about that. And on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. There was Matthew and Peter and James and John. And on you could go with those disciples out there. You see the different names on these foundations. And who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 
12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal about somewhere around 1,500 miles. Either way you go, including straight up. Now, this is, this is me. This is not Bible, what I'm fixing to tell you, but this is something that I have thought about for years. You say, well, how can that have mansions to take care of all the people that have ever been saved, that are saved now, and ever will be? Let me tell you what I feel like, and I see this in my spirit. It has 12 foundations. This wall, as a matter of fact, as you go on the next verses and read, is, is 72 yards thick. Now, you think about down here. you got 12 apostles. Maybe that's 12 foundations that would be separated by a distance of 125 miles. And you take 12, not, I'm, like, I'm not a heretic, okay? And I'm not teaching this for gospel. I'm teaching this because this is what I see. You take 12 levels, a 1,500-mile square. Buddy, I'm telling you, they can be a whole lots of people live in that area and never bump elbows. You think about that. That's where we're going to be. And it, it, it might be like this one day. You're just sort of venturing around heaven, and, and here you come up, and I, I see Pat, and, and uh, Pat said, Hey, Pastor, it's good to see you. Where are you living? I said, Well, I'm living on the Peter Foundation over by the Joseph Gate. I mean, who knows? It could be that way. And if it's not, it'll still be okay because I'm going to be in heaven, aren't you? It, hey, it don't hurt us. And see, here's the thing about it. We think about this, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has it in the heart of man the things that God has in store for those that love Him. Verse 17, Then He measured its wall 144 cubits, which is about 72 yards, according to the measure of a man. The construction of the wall was of jasper. And the city was pure gold. Now think about that. The city was not just the streets, but the whole city. More beautiful than Oz. Y'all all remember the Wizard of Oz, the Emerald City? More beautiful than Oz. The foundation, the wall of that city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. I, I, I'm telling you folks, just close your eyes and get a picture of this. And it talks about the foundations, the different ones. But think about this. The city and the foundation of the wall of the city, all kind of precious stones. I'm not going to go into reading these because I can't pronounce all of them. But I do want to bring you back to the gates. In verse 21 it says, In the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the, city, uh, the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Are you getting a picture of where we're going? Hey, folks, that's home I'm talking about. It's home that you and I are going to one of these days. Verse 22, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty in the Lamb its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine. In it, for the glory of God illuminated it, the Lamb is its light. And all the nations of the earth, of those who are saved, shall walk in its light, and the kingdoms of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And then this, this just verse 27, nails the whole thing for me. But there shall by no means enter in anything, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. 
That's where we're going. That's where we're going to be. This place is perfect. Your best day is yet to come. And your best day is going to be when Jesus breaks that eastern sky and comes and takes us off of this earth. The best day is not when our favorite football team wins a national championship. Our best day is not when a high school team wins a state title of some kind. My best day, let me tell you something. I've had some best days in my life up till now. My best day was April the 2nd, 1969, when I made Jesus Lord of my life. My next best day was March the 6th, 1970, when I married this lady right here. I had a good day, a good best day, uh, December the 25th, December 25th, 1971, when our first child Matt was born. Then another one, March the 26th, 1978, when Becky was born. And then another one, July the 3rd, 1979, when Mark was born. And then grandchildren. I could talk about grandchildren being born and great-grandson. And by the way, that great-grandson is doing well. He's up to five pounds and five ounces now, taking 50 and 60 units of milk at a time, just growing like everything. And, and we look for him to get to come home maybe in the next week, two weeks at the most that he'll get to come home. Anyway, that's a great day, and it'll be a great day when he comes home. It's a great day to come to Faultful and start Victor Fellowship. Today, this is one of my best days to preach to you this message. But let me tell you something, folks. My best day that I'll ever have is when Jesus comes and takes me home with him. Oh, perfect body. No more pain, no weaknesses, no sicknesses. Hey, <laughs> I'll never have to worry about losing weight again. I wish I had time to get in the marriage supper of the Lamb because, folks, I mean, it's going to be beautiful. But in closing, I want to ask you this question. Are you ready to go home? If you were to stand before God today and He said to you, what have you done that I should let you into my heaven, what would you tell Him? I want you to think about that. What have you done that I should let you into my heaven? This beautiful place that He's prepared for us. And the next thing, question I'm going to follow that with is this. If today was your last day on this earth and you left here through death, are you even sure you'd go to heaven? Let me tell you, all the good that you can do in this earth is not going to get you an entrance into heaven. You can be the best boy, the best girl, the best man, the best woman, and that won't get you into heaven. You can be good to your family. You can keep the Ten Commandments. You can go to church. You can sing. You can give money. You can witness and all that kind of stuff. But that's not good enough to get you into heaven. And folks, this thing I'm talking about is reality, and we need to realize this. If you want to go and be involved in this that I've been talking about for the last 35 to 40 minutes. And let me tell you, the only way to go is through the blood of Jesus Christ. For if you believe in your heart God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that He's Lord, you will be saved. That means that your name is written in the book of life. That means you can go to heaven. Don't let this opportunity get away from you. Two things could happen today. Number one, 
the rapture of the church could take place. That catching away we've talked about for these three Sundays could happen today. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, could happen. We don't know. We know the signs, we know the seasons, but we don't know the day and the hour. This could be it. And not only that, so many things that could happen in this life that could take your life short. And I want you to be aware of that. I'm not trying to scare anybody, alarm anybody, cause terror or fear to get on you. But you could stand before God today. You could be answering these questions today. So before any of that happens, and I trust every one of you live a hundred more years at least, unless Jesus comes back, okay? But, and be in good health. Okay, Bill? I said that, Bill, and be in good health. But if it didn't, and today could be that day, I want you to be able to say to God when He said, what have you done? I should let you into my heaven that you say to Him. I made Jesus Lord of my life on that Sunday morning at Victory Fellowship Church.